<laughs> so long, everybody. Yeah, no, I can tell you for sure Mark did not come all the way from Australia to hear me preach. <laughs> Uh, but this is birthday week for the moms. Uh, Swanee, Lori's mom, had her 89th birthday on Sunday, a week ago. So we celebrated God's faithfulness to her and these years of ministry. And Swanee is doing very well, living independently still, driving. And uh, if you're not getting her Christmas letter, you're missing out. Because people all over the world tell me that they enjoy reading Swanee's Christmas letter because she always recommends the books that she's read. She reads about a book a day, I think. <clears throat> and that's not much of an exaggeration. Uh, and then my mom turned 87 yesterday. So Mark is here to help celebrate. And the family members who weren't able to be there, we connected a number of them by Skype. It's a wonderful <clears throat> age of technology that we live in. I have an older brother who actually lives in the house that Mark and I grew up in back in Ellington, Connecticut. Um, my dad and mom were pastors all my growing up years, and then they were missionaries in Australia for seven years. And when they moved, my older brother bought their home. So um, the family homestead is still there in, in Connecticut, and Paul joined us by Skype yesterday. So I bring greetings from the Tabor family and from, from Swanee. Uh, and want to say a special word of thanks for your faithfulness and, and praying for us over these years and for your financial support, which continues to help us bring the gospel to the, to the Jewish people. I'm going to look at uh, John chapter 1 a little bit this morning. And there are a couple of other parallel passages that I'll point our attention to. But this is a familiar passage. While you're turning there, let me ask you, uh, do you have a favorite quote you have a, a quote that you particularly like? My screensaver says, God designs what we go through, we decide how we'll go through it. Uh, I love that little phrase because it's a reminder of the fact that God is sovereign and he is the one who ordains the events of our world and of our individual lives and nothing catches him by surprise. I love the little phrase, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God, right? Um, <clears throat> but sometimes when you ask for a favorite quote. A lot of people have a favorite Bible verse that they'll quote. But if I were to ask you, what is the first quotation that's found in Scripture? What's the first part of your Bible that has quotation marks around it? Does anybody know? Well, you all do know. Yes? Yes, God said, let there be light. If you were to go to Harvard University... And you walk in the doors, and on the floor of one of the main buildings there is the, the motto of Harvard University. It says in Latin, fiat lux, which is, let there be light. You know, Harvard University was founded by believers. It was like Yale and Princeton and so many of those Ivy League schools that have drifted far from their spiritual moorings. When they were started, they were starting as, started as training institutes, as seminaries to raise up preachers for the young America. And they believed that the Bible was God's word. And let there be light was a, a connecting point between the fact that the scriptures brought true knowledge, brought the light of, of God's wisdom to the world. And we could wish that Harvard and other institutions today had maintained that focus. There's a, a lot of knowledge that is being taught in our universities, but unfortunately, often not much wisdom. 
because they've moved away from the sense that the Bible is God's word and the source of, of true light. We use the word light in a number of ways in, in English. We talk about something as heavy or, or something as light as a way of weighing things. Uh, we, we sang, light the fire in me again. We talk about lighting a fire. Uh, but let there be light is the idea that darkness existed. In fact, that's how Genesis begins, that the world was formless and, and empty, and darkness, deep darkness, covered the face of the earth. And so when God said, Vayahi or, I imagine God spoke Hebrew, I don't know. Uh, that's how it's recorded for us in the Hebrew scriptures anyway. Vayahi or, let there be light, uh, and there was light. And God saw that it was good. Light is good. I mean, just living here in the Midwest, we go for days and days of cloudiness where, where it's dark. We were with my mom the other day and actually had to close the, the blinds because the sun, the brilliant sun, was pouring in. Sometimes I ask my mom, do you want to, to close the blinds? And she says, I love the light, especially in the wintertime when it's dark. I've not been to Alaska yet. That's still on my bucket list. Uh, but, you know, the land of the midnight sun, they, they have whole months where the sun never really sets, but then they also have the winter where the sun hardly shines. The radiant power of sun, I have an asphalt driveway, and I know that if I can clear just enough of the snow to get some patches of black asphalt shining through, that when the sun comes out, the radiant power of the sun will warm and do a lot of the work of clearing that driveway for me. The sun has warming powers. It has the ability to make us feel light. It lifts our, our spirits. Light is so important, and we take it so much for granted. When God said, let there be light, something that didn't exist in the material world, but always existed in the spiritual world, for God is light, now came into being. And we're continuing to discover things about light. Light is one of those things that scientists really have a hard time nailing down because of its properties, right? Sometimes it, it acts as a beam, but then they also talk about the particles or the, the packets of light, photons. And then there's invisible light, and then there's the, the laser, you know, that you could actually blow up rockets. Our defense department has developed these lasers that can shoot down missiles at a great distance with just a, a beam of light, the power of light. So when we, when we look at the opening verses of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The connection between light and life is explicitly clear here. The one who is the uncreated creator, the one who was in the beginning with God, the word, that's the phrase that John uses. It's interesting in Jewish terminology how God is referred to. Because of the commandment to not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, many Jewish people will not write the name of God. In fact, if you look at the L'chaim tract, 
I've got a copy of one here, I think, um, but there are some on the, the table. Just to be reminded before I forget, Pastor Mike referenced some of our publications. If you're not receiving the bridge or the lifelines, the weekly prayer updates, or Tabor Life and Times, our personal newsletter, because you guys support us, we, we really want to keep you informed. And if you're going to pray for us, and we do want you to pray for us, uh, we would love to have you pray in an informed way. So if you just take the brochure and fill out the form that's in the back, you can leave it on the table or send it in, and, and you can get for free whatever of the publications that you would like. But also on the table is the Lachaim Tract. And this time, the Lachaim Tract has been published probably, not probably, for sure, more widely than any other Jewish tract. It's, it's uh, translated into to Russian and to Spanish and into Hebrew and to Farsi, the Iranian language. It's been used around the world. When Campus Crusade had its I Founded campaign back in the 1970s, we gave them permission to print the Lachaim Tract and it was printed in the tens of thousands and distributed. So I think without any qualification, I can say this tract is more widely distributed than any other single Jewish tract. It's sort of a Jewish for spiritual laws. But in this most recent iteration, when it has God's name, like this page says Lamb of God, and it says G-D, right? If you've ever seen that in publications, when you're reading Jewish sources, you say, well, what's the matter? I mean, do they run out of O's? Well, why do they have to do that? But Lord L-R-D or God G-D, these are ways that the rabbis have used over the years to try to keep God's name holy, to make it uh, a name that's, that's not taken in vain. But it's not only in vain, it's also in writing. So that, for example, uh, even in the synagogue when the Torah scrolls are being read, when the reader comes to the yod heh vav the four-letter um, name of God, the personal name of God, uh, it's written Yahweh or Jehovah. We don't even know how it was really pronounced. But whoever is reading won't say Yahweh. They'll say Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord. So God's personal name isn't even vocalized. And often in... in um, just in conversation, if you ask a Jewish person how they're doing, if they have any religious sensibilities at all, or even many secular Israelis I've heard say, Baruch Hashem, say, how are you doing? Instead of saying, I'm fine, thank you, they say, Baruch Hashem, which literally is, bless the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus said, you will not see me again, quoting from Psalm 118, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Baruch Hashem, instead of saying, the name of the Lord, they just say the name. Bless the name. So there is this, this concern, this care about keeping God's name holy. John uses the expression, the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Another expression or title of the Lord Jesus. In the beginning with God. Let's go to Colossians. These are familiar passages, so we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but go to Colossians chapter 1, and I would have just started at verse 15, but I was looking at the context, and I thought, wow, this is really great. I'd never really paid attention to this, but in the context of this message, it makes great sense to start a little bit earlier. Now, part of what you know from Paul's writings is that Paul was a verbose fellow. That's like the, I don't know, eight or ten of the verses of Ephesians um, are, are all one sentence, 
Paul loves long sentences. Verse 9 begins, for this reason also, and that's all one sentence all the way through the end of verse 12. Uh, But he says in verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. And there's that little phrase, in light. Never really paid attention to that before. The inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a familiar verse. But I never really paid attention to that just little clause in light at the end of verse 12 in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we know we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, and this is not just a metaphorical, this is, you know, Satan is the prince of darkness. This really powerful metaphor of darkness and light is reflected in the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is an an old Jewish way of describing the difference between this world and the world to come between the ruler of this age, the prince of darkness, and the prince of peace, who is the light of light, the light of life. And then verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, speaking of the Lord Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. So this is an explicit statement of Scripture that Jesus was participating in creation. So when we said, God said, let there be light, we know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referenced in the creation story. The Spirit of God hovers over the waters in Genesis chapter 1. There's no explicit reference to God the Son in the creation record, but Paul tells us very clearly here in Colossians that nothing exists apart from what the Lord Jesus created. By him, all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth. So that expression, he or, let there be light, may well have proceeded from the mouth of the sun. The S-O-N. Think about it. The S-O-N created the S-U-N. And think about this. The second Adam created the first Adam. Paul refers to Jesus as the second Adam, the sinless human being, who, because of the virgin birth, did not inherit the sin nature that all of us as human beings have as a result of the human condition. One man's sin brought death to all mankind. You and I are born in sin, not because we did sinful acts, but because it's our very nature. But through the virgin birth, God was able to circumvent the curse of sin that comes through our first father, the first Adam. But it was the second Adam who reached down into the dirt and formed from the dust of the earth the first Adam and breathed life into him, and Adam became a living creature. According to what we read here in Colossians, 
that would be the Lord Jesus who was the creator. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together, the head of the body of the church. Let's also go to, to John chapter, or first John, the epistle of first John, toward the end of your Bibles. Verse 1 of chapter 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our eyes handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you, may, you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be complete. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John starts out his epistle by saying this is the message that we have is that God is light. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is pure and holy? The fact that we have a God who is sovereign and a God who is omnipotent, with him all things are possible. There's nothing impossible for this God, right? The God who speaks and the universe comes into being. This God, John says, is a good God. This is a God who is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God dwells in inaccessible light, the scripture tells us. The one who said, let there be light, already was light but he created material light, the photons and you know, the invisible light spectrum to human eyes, plus all the beauty of the light that we are able to see was created in Genesis chapter one by the God who is light, no darkness at all in him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Well, these are familiar passages and they're, they bring joy to our hearts to be reminded of the fact that we have a sovereign God who is all good, who is all righteous, who is totally light. There is no darkness in him. This is the God who created Adam and had fellowship with Adam and with Eve in their unfallen condition. But as soon as sin enters the world and death by sin, we have the separation Isaiah says very clearly to the Jewish people, your sins are what have made a separation between you and God. How many people here in Hammond woke up this morning with no waking conscious thought of God? You know, sadly, it's even possible for us to know today is Sunday and we're going to church and have the whole routine of going to church and God is still a distant thought to us, Right? It's easy for us to get into a routine and to say, well, we're Christians and so we go to church, right? And we look forward perhaps more to having fellowship with one another without the recognition that the whole reason we have fellowship with one another is because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And so we, we lift our hearts, we sing songs of praise to the Holy One, and we, we pray in his name. We pray to him and we invoke his presence with us. And we desire to worship him. He's the reason. He's the, the ground of our existence and the purpose for which we are created. And the reason why we continue to draw breath 
is to be light to the world around us, the folks who are yet walking in darkness. I love that picture when the Lord Jesus is brought to the temple at eight days. He's going to be circumcised, and Simeon holds the newborn Messiah in his arms, and he says, Now, Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace, because my eyes have beheld your salvation. This one who is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The light had come, the light, the glory of the Lord that shone around the shepherds as they announced that the Messiah had come. The picture of the light of the world, now a babe in arms, who grew up as a sinless one to be a savior of all of mankind. But he came unto his own, John tells us in John chapter 1. He came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the power, the privilege, the right to become the sons of God. It's this message of light that we continue to take into a darkening world. It's hard not to have a sense of the increasing darkness in our world, is it not? I mean, if you watch the news at all, and I know some people avoid watching the news altogether because it's so depressing, right? When was the last time you got really good news when you turned on, on the news broadcast? And I'm a little bit of a news junkie, I confess to, in part because I want to see what is happening in our world. I don't want to miss the sense of despair and growing darkness that's in our world around us because this is not, to me, a reason to retreat. This is a reason to advance. Today, a million people marched in the city streets of Paris. Can you imagine? I don't know who counted them, but they said there were at least a million people there. And, and what are they crying out for? You know, the, the big thing that they're crying out for is liberté. Liberté, equalité, fraternité. Those were the, that was the, the catchphrase of the French Revolution. You know, liberty, equality, brotherhood. Now that's the fabric of the French Revolution. But of the three, today they're crying for liberté, for, for freedom. People don't like the fact that uh, we have freedom of the press, but if you print something that somebody else doesn't like, then they walk into your office and shoot you. But folks, the liberty that folks are crying out for is not something that's going to be delivered by marches in the streets. The freedom that people are longing for only comes when there's freedom from sin. And so for Life of Messiah to have the message that the light of the world has come, his name is Yeshua, to be able to bring this life-giving message to people who are yet walking in darkness, including the Jewish people who are the bearers of the light, the people from whom we received the scriptures and to whom the gospel was first proclaimed. We have a chance to, to bring the gospel back to them. I know... Uh, you folks have been praying for Jim and Cheryl Eberlein, and when the Eberlein moved down to Montevideo um, in Uruguay, I had the privilege of uh, talking to Cheryl over the years about reaching out to some of their, their Jewish friends. But I had the first opportunity to go down and visit them uh, back in May. Wanted to go for some time, but this was the first opportunity that I've had. Spent three days with them. Uh, the fellow who picked us up at the airport, Jim came with 
a friend who helped him to find a place to live. And I heard the whole story in greater detail this time, and it's worth recounting. When Jim and Cheryl were in Mexico, Jim was the you know, area director there for Camino Global, and they asked him to help recruit folks to send down to Montevideo. Montevideo, Uruguay, is a very dark country. We're talking about light and darkness, the official religion of Uruguay is atheism. Uh, the suicide rate there is one of the highest in the world. People literally will jump off of roofs when they are so depressed. It's a regular occurrence down there. And uh, Jim and Cheryl were not able to find others who wanted to go early on and visiting the field and seeing the spiritual need, they felt impressed of the Lord that they should go down there. And so they did. The day before they left, they were at a hotel, I think in South Carolina, as Jim tells the story, and they were at breakfast, and Jim said to Cheryl, hey, I hear these folks speaking Spanish. So, you know, Jim's very outgoing, so he said, oh, habla espanol? And the man said, oh, we speak, we speak several languages. Oh, okay. But the woman was a little more friendly, and she said, yeah, we speak Spanish. Uh, Jim said, well, where are you from? And she said, Honduras. And Jim said, really? From Tegucigalpa? And she said, yes. Jim said, well, we spent several years in Seguatepeque some decades ago. And she said, oh. And the man said, oh, Seguatepeque of the gringos, huh? Said, well, yeah, I guess. And the fellow said, uh, well, I'm from Uruguay. Jim said, really? We're moving to Uruguay tomorrow. And the man said, you are? Where are you going to live? Jim said, in Montevideo. The man said, I'm from Montevideo. He said, so where are you going to live in Montevideo? And Jim said, well, I don't know. We'll have to find a place. And the fellow said, well, who's going to help you find this place? And Jim said, well, I don't know. We'll look for a realtor. And the fellow went, he reached in his wallet, pulled out his business card, turned it over, and he started writing. He gives it to Jim, and he says, look, when you get down to, to Uruguay, um, call this number, and you tell Etty that, or, or tell this man, um, we'll call him <coughs> Luis, tell Luis that Etty sent you. So Jim goes down there, they're in a hotel, he picks up the phone, he calls Luis and says, uh, I just moved here, and I'm supposed to tell you that Etty recommends you to us. And the says, oh, well, if Etty recommended you, then we'll have to, uh, I'll, I'll do my best to help you find a place. So he meets with them, finds the parameters, and sets up this day of visiting stuff. They visited six or seven different apartments. Cheryl's a little exhausted, she's ready to go home. And so she says, well, I think that's enough for today. And Luis says, oh no, there's one more place. Lisa is already waiting for us, and I've saved the best for last. So when I went to visit Jim and Cheryl, they're in this beautiful apartment overlooking the ocean, and I won't describe all the wonderful things that you can see out of their window, but it is a primo place to live. But Luis becomes friends of Jim after he helps them find this place. He just lives a couple blocks away, so he comes up. He's Jim's walking buddy. So after several weeks, he says to, to Jim, so are you from the comunidad? And Jim's fluent in Spanish, but he didn't know exactly what the fellow meant. He hadn't heard him use that term before. He assumed he meant, are you from the community of, of Christians? And so Jim said, oh, yes. A couple of weeks later, Jacobo says, Jaime, are, are you really a Jew? And Jim said, no. And he said, well, how come you said you're from the comunidad? 
And Jim said, well, what's the comunidad? And Luis said, well, that's how we Jews refer to the Jewish community. And Jim said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. He said, no, I'm not Jewish. He said, I'm, I'm a Christian. And Jacobo said, well, if you're not Jewish, then how did you get Eti to recommend you? And Jim said, well, I don't know. I've never met Eti. Who is Eti? He said, well, Eti is the most prominent woman in the Jewish community in Montevideo. Five of her sons are rabbis. And the fellow who gave his business card to Jaime was one of those sons. And so Jim and Cheryl are living right in the heart of the Jewish community. Their apartment has like two sinks for a kosher kitchen, right? One for dairy and one for milk. So I had the wonderful privilege of going down and seeing Bill Curry's oldest daughter, who's devoted her life to bringing the gospel in Latin America, right in the heart of the Jewish community, bringing the gospel to Jewish people. Their neighbor right across the hall is an Israeli. The lady who lives upstairs is a Jewish lady who is now a sister in the faith. God is very incredibly, incredibly creative in the way he does things. The light shines in the darkness. And rather than fearing the encroaching darkness, because it does appear that it's going to get darker before it gets light. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth, right? But rather than hearts quailing with fear, let's remember that God is intentional about shining the light in the dark places. And his design and his desire is that you and I be lights. That little song that we sang as kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, that should be more than a chorus that we sing. It should mark how we live our lives. And don't be surprised if God is willing to use you in ways that you would not anticipate. You know, our newest ministry field is down in Argentina, and part of the reason that I was able to go and spend some time with Jim and Cheryl was because I was on my way to Argentina. And I don't have time to tell you the wonderful story of this godly young couple who God raised up. Um, their goal was to bicycle the Pan Am Highway, and they've already ridden from Vancouver all the way down to Tierra del Fuego in Argentina, and it was while they were on that Pan Am Highway that they started to meet all these backpacking Israelis, and God really gave them a burden, a passion, to bring the gospel to these Jewish people. And so now there's a guest house that they've established in southern Argentina, and the season has just begun. You know, it's springtime down in the southern hemisphere, and so the Israelis, by the thousands now, are coming to their town and knocking on their door. And just this last week, we heard the story of three Israeli girls who were sitting in the dining area of the guest house, deep in conversation with our staff about the Messiah of Israel. And one of the girls said, yes, but is Yeshua, that's Jesus' Hebrew name, is, is he mentioned in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, the Tanakh? And they said, well, as a matter of fact, he is. And they opened the scriptures and showed from the Messianic prophecies pointing to the Messiah. And I'm here to tell you that we have a new sister in the faith. One of those young Israeli girls is a brand new believer, born again for just a week. As the light of the scriptures has shined through the hearts of people who have yielded their lives to God for service, was able to shine in her heart. God prepared her as a receptive vessel 
but also prepared them so that they would be there to meet her on the way. What divine appointments does God have for you this week? Who is it in your life, in your sphere of influence, in your home, in your community, in your place of work or school? Who is it in your extended family and perhaps people who you're related to in other places in the United States or even around the world who are walking in darkness today, who are depressed, who have no hope they're without God in this world? Is it God's purpose for us to simply enjoy the fellowship that we have with him through his son, Jesus Christ? Or is it his purpose for us to shine as lights? We're going to close with a brief video clip from our website. This is not an evangelistic clip. This is a pre-evangelism clip. What you're about to see has been actually uh, subtitled now into Hebrew and is being shown in Israel and other places. And this has been already an effective bridge-building tool that allows us to begin to have spiritual conversations with Jewish people who have viewed the Gentiles, including the church, as their enemies. So this is an example to you of what we would love to see you replicate as you have opportunity to talk to the Jewish people in your sphere of influence. Two are Jewish friends. Two are Jewish friends. We're sorry for the misrepresentation of Israel in media around the world. For not speaking out against anti-Semitic jokes. We're sorry for not taking time to understand your traditions and culture. We're sorry for the centuries of lies people have accused you of, saying things like you're greedy or money hungry. Along with millions of others, we're sorry that six million Jewish men, women, and children were murdered during the Holocaust by people who claim to love the same God as I do. We're thankful for the many contributions the Jewish community has made to colleges and universities worldwide. We're grateful for rabbis who have been intentional about creating partnerships between the Jewish and Christian communities. We're thankful for men like Jonas Salk, for finding the cure for polio, and for the hundreds of other contributions the Jewish community has made in the medical field. We promise to be a voice for the Jewish community at our work and our schools. We promise not to believe everything we read or hear about Israel in the news. We promise to speak out against local and global anti-Semitism. We promise to never forget the tragedies inflicted on the Jewish community throughout history and to continue to learn from these terrible wrongs. Sincerely, Life and Messiah. Life and Messiah. Life and Messiah. Life and Messiah. Sincerely, Life and Messiah. Messiah.